from LPM, Louisville Public Media. Support for LPM Podcasts comes from the Eye Care Institute and Butchertown Clinical Trials, where they strive for diversity, equity, and inclusion within their staff, patients, and clinical trial participants. To learn more, visit butchertown.clinic. Welcome back to another episode of Money Memories. I'm your host, Alona. This week, I'm speaking to Dr. Norma Reyes. Dr. Reyes is a career mindset coach who helps successful Latinas overcome self-doubt and imposter syndrome while on their professional journeys. We talk about how growing up in a non-traditional Mexican household shaped Dr. Reyes' independence around money and the financial lessons she hopes to pass on to her children. Let's jump in. Great. Good afternoon, Norma. Welcome to Money Memories. Such a pleasure to have you. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Weather's nice over here in Texas. Great. Well, let's get started. How did you grow up? You know, what kind of what kind of a household did you grow up in as a little girl? So both my parents are from Mexico. They didn't have a lot of family in San Antonio. And so it really was just like my parents. They weren't really connected to the extended family. And then I have two older sisters and a younger brother. I kind of feel like we were very isolated from like traditional Mexican type families where they have like extended families. So I think that led to me to really digging into books and reading a lot of books growing up. What were some of your favorite books? Oh man, my one of my favorites was called When I Was Puerto Rican. I can't remember the author, but she has a follow. She has like three or four follow-ups. They're like memoir style books, and I just really connected to her. Like she started off the book where she grew up really poor, and then how her life transformed and became very successful. Awesome. That sounds very cool. So what is your earliest or most impactful money memory? So I, I think I have like a few and they kind of all relate. I don't remember the earliest memory. I just knew we didn't have money to get anything that I wanted, but I would have everything I needed. When I first started working, I was 16. I was really excited to be able to have my own money. And I think I got my first paycheck and my dad was like, well, don't think that that money's everything. And I really didn't understand him because I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, don't, don't, don't quit. Don't quit school. And I was like, what? Why would I quit for like five fifteen an hour? Heck no, dad. Like, I'm just excited that that. Right. And then let's go ahead and fast forward when I'm in college. It's my senior year. I didn't work while I was in college, my, my undergrad, and I needed some money. I hadn't asked my parents for any money. I had just been on student loans and doing work study, but I didn't have like an outside part-time job. Work study doesn't pay very much. But I asked my dad for money. Senior year, I was like pretty much done and I needed like $300 for rent. And I asked him for the money. I, I never really went to them for money in general for anything. I just would always figure it out on my own. And so I asked him for the money and he gave it to me. And then he asked, are you on drugs, mama? <laughs> and so it was like, what? <laughs> I've never asked you for money. I've never asked for anything. And not that he, they weren't supportive of me. I think it was just, they had this view of me 
that I just didn't even realize. Really extreme, right? Like, don't quit school. Are you on drugs? When I never showed that. So I think when it comes to money, that's the kind of relationship I learned. Like, I only go to them on extreme situations. But then I, I, so it kind of isolates me. Yeah, that's interesting. Why do you feel that it isolates you? Because it's not like we don't have open conversations about money. We don't have open conversations about anything. And so something as simple as $300, which really isn't anything for rent. That was actually just my portion of rent at the time. And it it led to my dad saying like, are you on drugs? I got so, so disconnected, but I also didn't keep a close relationship with them either. They had no idea what I was doing in college or, or anything. So, of course, if your child, yeah, you have a minimal relationship with your child there in college, you don't understand what's going on over there. And then they just ask you for $300. So from their perspective, yeah, $300 is a lot for them, um, especially because, I mean, looking back at it, I mean, that could have been maybe about half a week's work for him or something. Wow. So what, how did you pay for the rent? So I think after that experience, I just used my credit card for the two months. So, yes, the credit card. I mean, who doesn't use their credit card, right? Like, doesn't everyone at some point use it to pay their rent? (laughs) Yeah, wow. So what did that experience, how did that experience kind of like influence you going forward? Yeah, going forward, I think I just learn to to figure it out. I held multiple jobs. I didn't, I don't think I ever asked him for any assistance again until I was looking to make a down payment for my first house and I wanted to make sure I had enough. So I had I did ask him for a thousand dollars then and I had to pay it back and everything. But that time he didn't ask me if I was on drugs or anything. So what would you say was your one of your biggest um financial obstacles? Biggest financial obstacles I would think just kind of understanding everything, not really money related, but more like, okay, so what is a 401 or what is a a stock investment or a mutual fund and how much do I really need to know? And so I think that would like paralyze me a lot more than anything else. And then finally, I just started just trying stuff out and figured I would either figure it out or not. I tried reading books on that, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So just trying different things. Nice. You mentioned something interesting I thought was earlier. You mentioned you didn't grow up in a traditional like Mexican American household. What do you mean? What did you mean? This might be a little out there for some people and maybe offend some people. I do apologize, but I feel like I grew up more like a white or Americanized family because we weren't hugging, kissing, We didn't have big events. I mean, during quarantine, I didn't see my parents for Thanksgiving, but I also didn't call them. And that's normal for us. It's not, doesn't mean I don't love them. and doesn't mean that I don't love, you know, they don't love me back, but it's just how we are. And, you know, traditional to me, like the opposite, my husband's family, like they get together for every little thing. They, They talk all the time. They have a group I am. Like they know exactly what's going on all the all time with each other. They hug each other. They kiss each other. I I couldn't tell you the last time I hugged my mom or my dad. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. The reason I asked was because I think people, different guests have shared how 
you know, their upbringing and their cultural values have influenced in some ways their relationship to their personal finances. So I guess like how, how, how were you influenced in managing your personal finances, if at all, by things you observed in your household? Well, I took care of a lot for my parents at a very young age. I would write down all the numbers for my mom and that was something. So while we didn't talk about finance, they didn't give me advice because they didn't have any advice to give me. I would help my mom all the time with all the bills. She would pay them at the beginning of the month. The one thing that would drive me nuts is she would get so anxious about making sure a bill was paid. That was two weeks out. I couldn't understand why she'd get so stressed out about it. But maybe because she could see like, well, we might not have enough. But anyway, so excuse me, I would write down all the bills for her. And then I would assist her making sure that those bills got paid, even while in college. So I guess that's how I would communicate with them. So now that you have your own family, how how do you manage the personal finances in your household? So, of course, with my husband, we do it jointly. We have this journal where we do the finances. I try to make sure that the kids are involved in it and see it because I did see how valuable it was for me to know exactly. But then I also don't want them to become stressed out about it. But I don't think it stressed me out as all as a kid, I think it actually gave me an understanding. And maybe that's why I didn't ask for a lot of things. I understood we have money for these things. And when my mom has extra, she does buy us extra. And same thing for the kids. That's kind of what I want to know. When we have extra, we can get extra. Got it. So what are the type of money memories that you hope your children have um, as they grow older? Money memories I want them to have. I want them to not feel stressed out about money. Know that there's always... If we really want something, we it, we can get it. We just need to figure out how. You know, how can we bring in that money? How can we bring that abundance? I don't want them to feel any type of way negatively towards money. That you know, there's that money makes you bad. Uh, I don't want them to have that feeling or feel guilty. I think that's the other side of it as having become more successful and having more. Sometimes I do have to overcome that as well. Like just feeling guilty that I have everything and anything that I want. And maybe I don't have the actual money. I do have the ability if I really wanted something to get it. And I think that's, that has been a struggle, but I'm learning to, to overcome that as well. Got it. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a valuable lesson. Speaking of lessons, you recently embarked on your own personal coaching practice and you had, so maybe talk us a little bit about, you know, what you did professionally prior to starting this and what you do now. Okay. So I'm a licensed therapist. So I'm a clinical manager for a health insurance and I manage other licensed therapists that work with the members for the health insurance. I decided to transition to career coaching. That's a long story, so I'll just try to keep it short. But mostly, I had my son and I realized that I wanted to do more directly, helping other women who were struggling in their careers. What motivated you to start your practice? Yeah, so the wanting to have other women that are struggling in their careers and then also that independence, not have to go and work for someone else when I felt like there was so much more I could be doing. Was was that kind of struggle as a, as a woman or as like a new mother something that you experienced yourself when you were working or as a, profes- as a professional? 
No, I don't feel that I did. I did earlier in my career. And then I felt like I reached a point in my career that everything was going very smoothly. I figured out how to overcome a lot of my obstacles very easily. I got my PhD. I worked full time. I had two babies in that time. I breastfed them. So I feel like I learned how to overcome so many different things. But then I see other women feeling like they can't do it all per se. And really, it's just a balancing act. It's not doing it all at once. So I have a question out of left field that I just became curious about. I noticed on your Instagram feed, you had a picture of you in a bodybuilding competition. And I just, are you a body, like, tell me about this. Are you a bodybuilder? Have you body built in the past? Yes. So that was in 2017. And in case you don't know, that is in the middle of my PhD program. So I guess that's another thing that I did in the middle of that. So yeah, me and my husband are really big into fitness. We have like a garage gym. And I don't even know how I came across a bodybuilding show. And I saw the women on stage and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. And I didn't even have plans to do it that same year, but I did. I did it on my own. I used an app called Avatar Nutrition. It's amazing for anybody, even if you're not looking to look like a bodybuilder. But it took me 16 weeks and I placed third. So yeah, yeah, I placed third. It was for the Alamo Showdown in 2017. Wow. That's for amazing. novice, a novice. So, so that was the novice category. Don't stop. Don't play it. It doesn't matter. You like the tagline is I entered a bodybuilding competition and I got third period. Like don't, don't try to downplay it. That's incredible. Do you still um, participate in bodybuilding competitions? No. So that's the first and last, mostly because we decided to have our second son or we decided to have a second child. And, and so I had him in 2019. I do have plans in the future, not anything, not next year or and yeah, I do want to do it in the future again, but I haven't had you know, thought out that far yet. That's awesome. That's so cool. Are there any lessons from bodybuilding that you have applied in weird ways oh. or in unexpected ways to, you know, your life? Oh, yeah. I mean, so like I said, I always turn everything back to money. So calories, you got a budget. You know, you got a budget. If you want to lose weight, you got, you know, let's say start off with 2000. Your budget is 2000 calories and you can spend that however you want. You just got to divide it into carbs, protein and fats. So those are the macros. And that's it. Like if you want to have a soda that's like 50 carbs and you only have 300 carbs to work with, then you have 250 for the rest of the day. It's really, really just works. And that's exactly how that app works. It's all, there's also a thing called if it fits your macros and it's like a budget and your banking. So for those people that are really good with money and you're you struggling, like that's so easy. I mean, just write it down every day and you start at zero. And yeah, there's ways to get around it too. You can figure out foods that have very little of, of things like cucumbers. Cucumbers are a good thing to eat. If you are short on your macros that day. Oh, wow. That's, I love that if it fits your macros, but if it's your budget, that's so clever. Well, thank you for, you know, sharing this, you know, dietary as well as financial wisdom with us today. It's been such a pleasure having you. For our listeners who are interested in learning more about you and want to connect with you, where can they go? Instagram. I love Instagram the most. So it's pretty easy. You can find me at, at DR, you know, Dr. Norma Reyes. Brilliant. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Norma, for sharing your time and your memories with us. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, I'm your host, Alona. If you like what you heard, please be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. For more episodes, check out moneymemoriespodcast.com or listen to the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Interested in being featured on the show? Head to the website and submit a note or DM me on Twitter at Alona on the Money. See you next week. Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at visionzerolouisville.org. Thank you.